Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. given the gift So the story uh, is about this man um, at his 34th birthday, and <laughs> some guy, that's right, let me read you the story. All right, a- and he writes in his diary, he says, Dear Diary, for my 34th birthday this year, my friend purchased a week of personal training in the health club for me. Although I'm still in great shape since playing for my uh, uni rugby team 18 years ago, I decided it would be a good idea to go ahead and give it a try. I called the club and made my reservation with a personal trainer named Belinda, who identified herself as a 26-year-old aerobics instructor and a model for athletic clothing. My friends seemed pleased with my enthusiasm and gets, uh, to get started. The club encouraged me to keep a diary to chart my progress. Monday, started my day at 6 a.m., tough to get out of bed, but it was well worth it when I arrived at the health club to find Belinda waiting for me. She was something of a Greek goddess with blonde hair, dancing eyes, and a dazzling white smile. Woohoo! <laughs> she took my pulse, and after five minutes on the treadmill, uh, she was alarmed that my pulse was so fast but I attributed it to standing next to her in my Lycra aerobics outfit. I enjoyed watching the skillful way in which she conducted her aerobics class after my workout today. Very interesting. Belinda was encouraging as I did my sit-ups. Although my gut was already aching from holding it in the whole time she was around, this was going to be a fantastic week. Tuesday, I drank a whole pot of coffee, but I finally made it out the door. Belinda made me lie on my back and push a heavy iron bar into the air, and then she put weights on it. My legs were a little bit wobbly on the treadmill, but I made the full mile. Belinda's rewarding smile made it all worthwhile. I feel great. It's a whole new life 
for me. Wednesday, the only way I can brush my teeth is by lying the toothbrush on the counter and moving my mouth back and forth over it. I believe I have a hernia in both pectorals. Driving was okay as long as I didn't uh, try to steer or stop. I parked on top of a moped in the club parking lot. Belinda was impatient with me, insisting that my screams bothered the other club members. Her voice is a little bit too perky for early in the morning, uh, and when she scolds, she gets nasally whiny. Uh, that is very annoying. My chest hurts when I go to the treadmill, so Belinda put me on the stair monster. Why on earth would anyone invent a machine to stimulate an activity rendered obsolete by elevators? Belinda told me it would help me get in shape and enjoy life. She said some other stuff too. Thursday, Belinda was waiting for me with her vampire-like teeth exposed at her thin, cruel lips, and they were pulled back in full snarl. I couldn't help being half an hour late. It took me a long time to tie my shoes. Belinda took me to the workout with dumbbells. When she was not looking, I ran and hid in the men's toilet. She sent Lars to find me then, as punishment, put me on the rowing machine, which I sank. <laughs> Friday. We're talking about living in harmony. Friday. I hate that person, Belinda, more than any other human being has ever hated any other human being in history of the world. She's a crazy little cheerleading person. If there were part of my body I could move without unbearable pain, I would bash her over the head. But Belinda wanted me to work on my triceps. I don't have any triceps. She didn't want dents in the floor. She wouldn't have handed me those crazy barbells or anything more that weighs more than a sandwich. The treadmill flung me off and I landed on a health and nutrition instructor. Why couldn't it have been someone softer like the drama coach or the choir director? Saturday, Belinda left a message on my answering machine in her grating, shrilly voice, wondering why I had not shown up today. Just hearing her made me want to smash the answering machine with my planner. However, I lacked the strength to even use the TV remote and ended up catching 11 straight hours of the weather channel. <laughs> Sunday. I'm having the church van pick me up for church services today so I can go and thank God this week is all over. I will also pray that next year my friend does not give me a gym voucher but will choose a different gift for me that is fun, like having a root canal with a vicious dentist. <laughs> That's my introduction. <laughs> Folk, I, I think practicing humility helps us to live in harmony with one another. We're going through the one another commands. And this, today, I want to deal with living uh, in harmony with one another. Mother Teresa once said, humility is the mother of all virtues, purity, charity, and obedience. It is in being humble that our love becomes real, devoted, and ardent. The word ardent means compassionate. 
And so when I think of the word humility, I think about the opposite of humility. And the opposite is pride, it's selfishness, it's arrogance, it's self-centeredness, it's no shame, it's being boastful, it's being vain, and it's being stuck up. But here Jesus tells us, or Paul writes to the church, and he says that we are to be humble and live in harmony with one another. And we don't have to be Mother Teresa's or even religious people in this world to understand this. But when we make the effort to practice humility, the outcome of practicing humility is that we live in harmony with one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says this, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate it to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. The message puts it quite nicely. It says, get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies and don't be a great somebody. Talks about this humility that we are to have as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we have that, when we practice that, the outcome of that is living in harmony with one another. And so let me share with you how to be humble in relationships. I think the first point I want to make is uh, friendship and harmony. And the first part of verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. The King James says it beautifully. Be of the same mind. That word mind uh, there's about four or five different Greek words for the word mind, uh, you know, uh, but this particular context here, it's the word phroneo, which means um, a, a different way of thinking, a different way of thinking. It means, um, you know, be of the opinion, have the right interest, uh, uh, try and get the right understanding is what Paul is writing to the church and saying there. Be willing to sacrifice your own needs to be right all the time. When I was in the army, there was a, a colonel that had this plaque on his desk. And when you walked in, it was the first thing you saw. Be reasonable, do it my way. I thought, well, you know what? <laughs> I'm finished, <laughs> I'm finished. And so, you know, it, it's, because he's a colonel, he's going to be right all the time. And I wonder if you know anybody, and I'm not trying to cause marriage dissension here, <laughs> if you know anybody who has to be right all the time. They can never be wrong. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> can never be wrong. They have to be right all the time. My next question is, do other people think of you like that? Scary stuff. Scary stuff. Perhaps a couple of seconds of silence there. <laughs> the Bible is a very practical book. It helps us to understand uh, these principles that, that come out of it. And here Paul writes to the church and he says that live in harmony with one another. And there are certain ways that we, we begin to live uh, 
you know, the, the principles of Scripture that allow us to, to practice this humility. If I were to take the illustration of an orchestra, it's nice if one instrument plays. If another instrument comes in and is totally out of sync, it doesn't sound good. On their own, they might sound okay, but it sounds better when each instrument does its bit and it is good together because they agree to something. But when one person says, I'm going to do my own thing, you can hear it doesn't sound good. In fact, that particular principle is profound in the New Testament because Jesus says that we all are gifted. In fact, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and, and says, we all have different gifts. And that word there is the word grace, same word in the Greek. And he says, we all have different graces. And so make sure that you practice the grace that God has given you, the gift that God has given you to work together with others, to be humble in what grace you have, because the outcome of that is you'll be living in harmony. In other words, that unity in our diversity. I need you and you need me. And as we, as we work together and practice God's grace in our lives, uh, we, we, we become friends and we live in harmony with one another. And I think what's important is that that harmony with Jesus allows us to have harmony with one another. In other words, when we're connected to Jesus, that harmony flows out of us and we're able to live lives pleasing to God. And we become beautiful music to the world in our marriages, with our families, in our church, the way we conduct ourselves outside of church. And so it's the first place that we, we begin because the devil wants to come in and disrupt. He wants to knock us down. But instead, as we live in harmony with him, so we're able to live in harmony with one another. I think we need to be on guard the whole time because the devil comes and tries with his tricks. There's this uh, beautiful program um, on, on TV, about, you know, about planet Earth and the National Geographics. And, and you see all these uh, deer that are walking and grazing together. And then this pack of wolves comes. And the deer begin to panic. And they just start kicking in all directions. They kick with their back legs. And they hurt one another. There's chaos. They hurt some of the younger deer that's with them. And then they realize, listen, we're losing this battle. And they all turn inside. They put the young deer in the middle. And they all turn and face the young deer. And they all make a circle and kick outward. And so eventually the wolves leave. And folk, when we work together, there can only be growth and uh, progress. If we keep put our heads together, our minds together, our hearts together, connected to Jesus, our marriages, our families, our churches will be in harmony together and we will be a shining light to those we come to one another. How to be humble in relationships or friendship leads to living in harmony. 
Secondly, good manners and courtesy, I believe, will lead to a life of harmony. The middle part of verse 16 says, be willing to associate it with people of low position. The King James says it this way, mind not high things. Be careful of high things. And, and the word that's used there for high things, ipsilos, means those things that are lofty, um, that uh, are uplifted and are elevated. Now, that doesn't mean don't accomplish stuff, but be careful that you try and accomplish so much that you wipe everybody else out the way in trying to get there. Because as men and women of God, we are to be kind to all people. And we see that in the life of Jesus. You know, we're part of a church. We're part of, of uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we live lives that should be characterized by humility, by the way we conduct ourselves, by good manners, by the things that we say. Because, you know, it will reflect whether we're connected to Jesus or not. By the things that we do, the world is watching us. And so spiritual uh, snobbery is extremely dangerous. And that's why, uh, you know, we read that, that we are to be humble, that we are to live in humility. Because, you know, the spiritual uh, aristocracy does not gel well. In fact, we understand it well in James chapter 2. You know, Paul actually uh, writes in 1 Corinthians 12, and 14, where he says that there are different types of gifts. Here, the context of the church in Corinth, they were all doing their own thing and, and being philosophers saying, the more I am gifted, the more I am powerful and better than everybody else. And he says to them, be careful, because the Greek word for gifts of the Holy Spirit is charismata, charismata. But the Greek word for grace is chari. You know, charismata, chari, you only have gifts because of his grace. If I have three and you have two, I'm no better than you because it is by God's grace anyway. And so there is no hierarchy. It is all this way. And we respect God's grace in one another. And so when we think that we're better than anybody else, it's totally wrong. James says it in, two, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. He says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Big, fat Greek, long word there. Prosopolipsia. Your face must not think that it's better than everybody else's face, is what that word means. Don't show partiality. Be careful that, you know, you, you, you neglect the poor, and favor the rich. Now, we know that that exists in the world today. Be careful that you don't think that you are a high-born royalty, if you like. Why? Because we are one in the kingdom of God. And, and James carries on and he, he says, listen, somebody walks in and has nice clothing and they show that they're rich and they got a lot of gold. They walk into the church. Only time that it talks about clothing in the church and he says, be careful of those who, who are fancily dressed and, and have gold all over the place. And you give them a really good seat. And those who are not, who look like slaves, 
you put them on the floor. Be careful of that because that's not a sign of humility and that will bring dissent rather than harmony. And so in the kingdom of God, the ground at the cross is all level, as somebody said. It's all level. And so we are all VIPs in the kingdom of God. We're all VIPs in the kingdom of God. There are not some who are more special than others. We're on the same playing field and we respect one another's grace in one another's lives. And so be careful, James says, that you don't discriminate. That word that he uses, diacrino, be careful you don't create hostility and separate between the rich and the poor because that creates animosity rather than harmony. Church historians will tell us that the Roman Empire felt that Christianity was a threat. Why was that? Because only in the church did the rich and the poor sit next to each other. Outside the church, they had their, uh, their, their roles, their, their massive positions. When you're rich, there was a certain protocol that you'd follow. When you were a slave, there was a certain way of living. And so he's saying, live in humility with one another. Because Jesus sees us all as equal. Be careful, he is saying. There's no class distinction in the kingdom of God. We all need his love. We all need his grace. We all need his mercy. We all need forgiveness. And we all need to practice good manners and courtesy. Thirdly, There is modesty and humility. The last part of verse 16 says, do not be proud. And that word proud, phronimos, means, you know, don't, it's a good word, but be careful that your, your pride is not in yourself. It's kind of the word that means wisdom and intelligence, good. But be careful that you don't think that it's because of who you are. James says it this way, do not be conceited. Do not be conceited. And, and I think what, 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 uh, what we're kind of supposed to do is to look in the mirror all the time. To look in the mirror and realize God's grace. You know, there's some who wake up in the morning and look in the mirror. Yes, you're the man. How great thou art. How No. It's exactly the opposite is what we are taught in the New Testament. To be humble, to come before the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to realize that uh, in Jeremiah 79, that we are desperately wicked in our hearts. Now that's not breaking people down. That's acknowledging that there could be something deep down inside that could lead us astray and we need one another in the kingdom of God. We need to humble ourselves. We really need the Lord to come and penetrate our hearts. That we're all sinners. That we all make mistakes. That God's grace is so desperately needed in our lives every moment of the day. 
When we were kids, we used to pretend that we were somebody else. You know, Superman, Spider-Man, look mom, no hands, look mom, no teeth, you know, Rocky, Father Christmas. But then when we grow up, we realize we're not that person. Some of us take a bit longer to realize that, you know. And if we think that we are perfect, that's where pride steps in. And we eventually become pseudo. And the word pseudo um, is kind of almost uh, the same word that, that means hypocrite. That we put on this mask, but when the heat gets turned on, it begins to melt. And we begin to see who we really are. As one guy said, the you you see is the you you'll be. Now that's pop psychology. But when you see you're desperately in need of the Lord Jesus Christ, the you you see is the you you'll be. You'll show humility and you'll show grace and mercy to those you come into contact with. So I'm saying if you want to get along with other people, the first place to start is humility. It's a place where we feel comfortable in our own skin because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place where we realize that we're actually not as good as we think we are, which is a good place to be. And that's how we'll begin to live in harmony with one another. And as we realize the grace of God, he comes and he penetrates our hearts and our minds. And so, if we look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he mixed with bad news people. In fact, he was labeled to, to uh, in a bad way that he mixed with prostitutes and wine bibbers. Uh, the only ones he didn't get on with were the religious hypocrites. Interesting. And so when we think that we're better than everybody else, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those religious uh, aristocracy, that's where conflict comes in. And we can't live in harmony with one another. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and penetrates our hearts and penetrates our minds, so uh, he, he overflows with who he is in our lives. You see, the reason for the filling is the overflow. And so when he fills us with good stuff, then we are able to humble ourselves and overflow because we begin to see other people created in the image of God as well. And we don't become pompous and, and arrogant. We keep humble. And so how do we stay humble? I'm going to end off by just uh, giving you these points how do we stay humble? You know, Jim Elliot, that great Christian martyr, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me say that slowly uh, and, and get it, please. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I want to say this, that what we share, we keep. And what we keep, we lose. If we're able to share um, 
you know, service and, and the grace of God that's in us with those we come into contact with. We keep it. But when we keep it for ourselves, we lose it. So may the grace of God come and penetrate our hearts and our minds so that we begin to see his goodness. Some things, some practical things that we can take with us. Avoid taking credit. You know, I love hearing thank you. That was good. We all love that. We all love to hear good stuff. And, and, and we need to also learn to receive that. But friends, when we boast about who we are all the time, that's not good. Because Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He says, you've received your rightful reward. You've received your rightful reward. So when you serve, you do it kind of in secrecy, as it were. Not so you can get the glory. You want him to get the glory. So avoid taking credit. Praise others. Praise others. Build others up. You'll see how it comes back to you. When you begin to build others up, it comes back to you. Because when you build others up, you're, you're putting your, your, it's like the word encouragement. You're putting your shoulder under their armpit and you're lifting them up. It's like breathing fresh heart into them. Fresh heart into them. Thirdly, help others succeed. Help others to succeed. Because what you share, you keep. What you keep, you lose. And so when you help others succeed, you know, the, it's saying, you know what? What I've got, I want to share with you so you can get to the top. As, not as well, but you, so you can do it. Sorry. Number four, admit your mistakes. Admit your mistakes. And so the quicker we are able to say these little three words, I am wrong. Please forgive me. I am sorry. So we can actually grow because we're actually showing humility. And we all make mistakes. Fifthly, learn from others. Appreciate others. Learn to value other people. Number six, go last. It's a biblical principle. In the army, back in Johannesburg or back in South Africa, when we were there, the lowest rank would eat first and the highest rank would eat last. Never forgotten that. It's not as if we weren't going to get food. Some of us needed not to get food. But hey, you know, it's showing, hey, we honor you guys. We respect you guys rather than all, you know. Let others go first. Number seven, serve somebody. Cup of tea, a cup of coffee for your spouse. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> Offer your, your services to somebody. Can I run an errand for you? Can I do this? Because, you know, if, if that's what you're full of, that's what will come out. Andrew Murray said it this way. said, the danger of pride is greater and nearer than we think. And the grace for humility too.
and the grace for humility too. And so if we intentionally and purposefully go out of our way to be humble, the outcome of that is living in harmony. Before we have communion together, let me read your story, please. It's titled, God Doesn't Make Mistakes. A nurse took the tired, anxious serviceman to the bedside. Your son is here, she said to the old man. She had to repeat the word several times before the patient's eyes opened. Heavily sedated because of the pain of his heart attack, he dimly saw the young, uniformed soldier standing outside the oxygen tent. He reached out his hand. The soldier wrapped his toughened fingers around the old man's limp ones, squeezing a message of love and encouragement. The nurse brought a chair so that the soldier could sit beside the bed. All through the night, the young soldier sat there in the poorly littered ward, holding the old man's hand and offering him words of love and strength. Occasionally, the nurse suggested that the soldier move away and rest a while. He refused. Along towards dawn, the old man died. The soldier released the now lifeless hand he had been holding and went to tell the nurse. While she did what she had to do, he waited. Finally, she returned. She started to offer words of sympathy, but the soldier interrupted her. Who was that man? The soldier asked. The nurse was startled. He was your father, she answered. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't, the soldier replied. I never saw him before in my life. Then why didn't you say something when I took you to him? Whenever the nurse came into the ward, the soldier was oblivious of her and the night noises of the hospital and the clanking of the oxygen tank, the laughter of the night staff members exchanging greetings, the cries and moans of the other patients. And now and then she heard him say a few gentle words. The dying man said nothing, only held tightly to his son all through the night. I knew right away there had been a mistake, but I also knew he needed his son and his son just wasn't there. When I realized that he was too sick to tell whether or not I was his son, knowing how much he needed me, I stayed. I came here tonight to find a Mr. William Gray. His son was killed the day before in action. And I was sent to inform him. What was this gentleman's name? The nurse with tears in her eyes answered, Mr. William Gray story is one of fiction, but it's got a real, real message. God can use what we see as mistakes to put us right where we need to be. So the next time it seems like things are going wrong, pause and take a good look around. Look for the opportunity that God has put in front of you to impact someone else's life. Folks, Jesus has done so much for you and for me. The least we can do 
is respond in humility and serve one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that it's not with silver or gold that you allowed us to know you, but with your precious blood. Lord, you've given so much so we can gain so much. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord. Thank you that your body was given so we can have life and be reconciled back to you. Thank you that your blood was shed for the remission, for the forgiveness of our sins. As we eat and drink of this bread and, and this cup, Lord, may we remember who you are because of what you've done for us. Help us to do this, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Friends,